0: I bet you weren't expecting this, right? To find out what I mean by that, you have to watch the episode on Spotify, Rumble, or YouTube, ladies and gentlemen. I would definitely appreciate any feedback you have on this week's episode, and especially the format. Please comment directly on the episode on the YouTube or Rumble channels, or you can send feedback to me via email. The email address is larry at libertyleadershipandlies dot Again, that is larry at libertyleadershipandlies dot This week on Liberty Leadership and Lies, I will provide the audience a bit of an update on my current schedule and possible changes to my future schedule. Then we will talk about a recent article in the Tennessee Conservative News. For a bit of background, on September twenty sixth, an article was published reporting that Tennessee Governor or Tennessee Lieutenant Governor. Randy McNally. You have to really emphasize his first name that way, if you know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean, just put Randy McNally and Instagram in your search engines and then read the results. After that, you will probably understand. Anyway, Tennessee Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally and Tennessee Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton, they both recently announced the creation of a task force to figure out if Tennessee can refuse federal funding for education. I will discuss why I believe that those two individuals, along with Trans-Publican Governor Bill Lee, they are just setting up another and a long list of betrayals of my fellow Tennesseans. Next, we'll discuss how Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives and in the U.S. Senate, how they are continuing to betray the American people and are betraying their oaths of office. You know, evidence has borne out over the past few decades that there is not much of a difference between Republicans and Democrats anymore. However, there is one very big distinction between the two, and I'll let you know what that is. If you all listen to Dan Bongino, you will know exactly what I'm talking about, and I highly recommend that you watch his podcast as well. After that, there is more news out there about how the Biden administration has betrayed the American people, and not in the way you think. I will share with you some information that comes from the America First Legal Foundation, or legal organization. Now, these topics, along with the show's closing with God's word, will provide more data points on how government leadership in Tennessee, and in the federal government, they have betrayed the citizens of this state and this nation. And with that, let's get the show started. Welcome to a show where you will hear about how our liberty is being eroded by the very people that swear an oath to protect it. Today, the president signed a big new anti-terrorism bill that would expand the government's ability to track down terrorists, but at some cost. On this show, we will discuss many of the lies that the government, the government that hates us, by the way, we will discuss the lies that the people in positions of power and influence spread every day. And what is the best way to confuse children? Confuse them about their sexuality, confuse them about their gender, expose them to things that their little brains are not ready for yet. That is how they are confusing children. It is leading to chaos and Big Daddy government, of course, can be there to pick, up, pick us all up and take care of us at the end of it. We will also talk about how current elected leadership at all levels of government has been corrupted by power and control, as well as discuss the types of leadership needed to correct our republic's course. We the people, it was time to remember that we the people are the government. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians, that's the number one priority for the United States right now. I am your host, Larry Linton, retired U.S. Navy Command Master Chief and prior Tennessee House of Representatives District 12 candidate, and welcome to the Liberty Leadership and Lies podcast. Again, welcome to this week's show, ladies and gentlemen. So for starters, a brief update on my contract and schedule. My current three-week engagement has been extended to four weeks. Happy, happy, joy, joy. The other leadership coaches and I that I work with, we will be shifting gears from field engagements all over the country with these small crews. We will be shifting to building capacity within the organization via classroom training and seminars in a central location beginning sometime in the first quarter of 2024. Now, the particulars for how these engagements will be scheduled are still being worked out. There is the possibility, though, that my current three weeks on and three weeks off schedule will drop to a two weeks on and two week off schedule. Nothing is written in stone yet in regards to that. I hope to have more information later this week. Now, there are pros and cons with both of those rotations, but as with any contract, the people I work with will provide the client with what they desire and believe works for the best of their organization. But for the remainder of this year, I will stay on this current 3 and 3 rotation. However, there will be a brief interruption in that schedule for a personal vacation. Well, it's not really a vacation, but a pilgrimage. You see, the church my family and I attend, they, or we, are going on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land in November. For a bit of background information, Denise and I previously went on a pilgrimage in 2019 to Israel with our church. It was just before the pandemic shut the world down in November of 2019. It was definitely a life-changing event for Denise and I. To walk the same ground that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ walked really brought the Gospels, heck, the entire Bible, to life for us. It had such an impact on the both of us that we decided to go again when our church announced that they would be arranging another pilgrimage earlier this year. But this time, as an added bonus, we are bringing our daughter Kaylee and her husband Eric with us. There was so much to see and do during that first pilgrimage that Denise and I felt like we were drinking from a fire hose with all the information about the sites we visited. The last time we went, my mother traveled along with us as well, which was truly a blessing to be able to share in that experience with my warrior mom. I have to say that the Lord has truly blessed Denise and I with the financial ability to not only do this again, but to bring Kaylee and Eric with us. Denise and I are praying that our kids get as much out of this trip as we did during our first trip. On that note, though, being out of the country presents many more logistical challenges for putting episodes together for this podcast. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about the two weekly episodes that are scheduled during that trip, but I want to assure the audience that I'm thinking about how to put something out there for that time frame. Possibly a re-release of one of the top-rated episodes or maybe a pre-recorded episode honoring Veterans Day. Heck, maybe even a short episode from the Holy Land itself with the whole family participating and sharing some of the experiences. We'll see. And then just after I return home from my current engagement here in Carlsbad and prior to heading off to the Holy Land, I have a couple of important meetings later this month that will also have an impact on 2024 for myself And my family. I will be sure and let the audience know the particulars of those meetings if they bear fruit. Now on to some somber news, though. On a personal note, I would like to ask the audience for a favor. Would you all please lift up my mother-in-law? In fact, please lift up Denise and her side of the family in your prayers. You see, Denise's mom has been bedridden for over a year now, and it's not getting any better. Of course, this is hitting my bride and her siblings pretty hard right now, as you can imagine. So please lift my mother-in-law, Joanne, my wife, Denise, my brother-in-law, John, my sister-in-law, Sherry, and her husband, Mark. Lift them up and ask the Lord to comfort them in this difficult time. And I really thank you all for doing that. Now, a brief break before we talk about how I believe Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally and Speaker of the House Sexton are setting us Tennesseans up for another Betrayal. And we're back. As I mentioned in the opening of today's show, this past week it was reported that the Tennessee Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, and Tennessee Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, who was also the Speaker of the Senate, announced the creation of a task force that will be comprised of Republican and communist members of both houses of the General Assembly. In this group of legislators on the task force will study what the impact the rejection of federal funding might have on education here in Tennessee. This group of Tennessee legislators are tasked with determine if the rejection of this money will have a negative impact on public education here in Tennessee and in the, if the state can afford to reject the 1.8 billion potential federal dollars it would otherwise accept speaker sexton has stated that the reason for rejecting the funds is that the federal dollars offered up for tennessee's education system as with any part of federal funding it always comes with strings attached often the strings that are attached are ones that Tennesseans, who are a proud group of people that really enjoy their liberty strings that we find completely unacceptable For example, the federal government provided Tennessee a boatload of taxpayer money during the pandemic. Those funds provided came with many, many strings attached, imposing COVID restrictions on students, like mandatory masking or school shutdowns. And just like almost every single one of these federal funding programs, they are edicts from Washington, D.C. that do not come with the consent of the governed, which in this case, the Tennessee parents. Now, here is why I believe this is setting up another betrayal. First, have you ever heard of any politician refusing money? No matter the source, but most especially federal funding. I think politicians get a kick out of bribing the citizens with their own money, which is essentially what federal funding is. Second, Speaker Sexton and Lieutenant Governor McNally Both introduced legislation earlier this year in the regular session that ended in April that would have done the exact same thing. House Bill 1249, which was sponsored by Cameron Sexton, was filed on the 31st of January, and its companion bill in the Senate, Senate Bill 1507, sponsored by Randy McNally, was filed on the 2nd of February. Both bills did not advance during the last regular session. These bills also sought to create an 11-person panel that would be chaired by the state's education commissioner. At the time, that was a position filled by the obviously communist, Commissioner Penny Schwinn. This so-called new task force will consist, uh, or according to the article, will consist of Representative Deborah Moody, a Republican out of Covington, and Senator John Lundberg, a Republican out of Bristol, that will serve as the co-chairs. House members include Representative Ronnie Glynn, a Democrat out of Clarksville, Representative Timothy Hill, a Republican out of Bluntville, Representative John Reagan, a Republican out of Oak Ridge, and Representative William Slater, a Republican out of Gallatin. The Senate members include Senator Ramush Akbari, a Democrat out of Memphis, Senator Joey, uh, who is it, Joey Hensley, a Republican out of Hohenwald, a Senator Bill Powers, a Republican out of Clarksville, and Senator Don White, a Republican out of Murfreesboro. Now, these legislators are tasked with developing a plan to guide the administration and the General Assembly on whether it is feasible for this state, along with the political subdivisions of the state, to reject federal funding for educational programs or purposes. Like many others, I see this as a way for Sexton and McNally to quote-unquote appear that they are taking action on what would likely be a very popular move with most of the conservative constituency here in Tennessee. And, you know, folks, that is a majority of Tennesseans. But they will not actually be doing anything that will cut the strings attached between Tennessee and Big Daddy federal government with regard to public education. Now, why do I believe that? Again, let's go back to earlier this year when both Sexton and McNally sponsored legislation to do the same thing that they are proposing now. Nothing moves in the General Assembly without those two people allowing it. The reverse is true as well. Bills are killed in committee or subcommittee based upon the word of those two fake conservatives, or as I like to call them, transpublicans. This will just be another betrayal in order to gain support from conservatives for them in their positions because they lost some support from us based upon allowing the governor's special session in August to move forward. If anything does come out of this task force, us Tennesseans, though, can always rely on Bill Lee to do the opposite of what the conservative voters want anyway, especially now that he replaced Penny Schwinn with an even bigger communist. Mark my words, ladies and gentlemen. Follow the situation with the clear expectation that it is nothing more than Sexton and McNally's political pandering to true conservatives. While behind the scenes, they will ensure nothing actionable ever comes from the task force. Now, for a brief break before we get into how there is really only one difference between Republicans and Democrats. All right. Now, as I discussed in last week's episode is one of the biggest, if not the biggest threat to our liberty. It is the national debt that is brought about by government spending. It is both Republicans and Democrats that are accruing this debt at an astronomical rate and putting that debt in the name of the citizens of this republic. Why do they all do this? Or why is it not unique to just the communists? Well, It's because it gives them power, control, and influence. The political class have twisted and misinterpreted the Congress's tax and spend authority, as defined in the Constitution's enumerated powers, well beyond its scope. So let's look at the issue, shall we? Perhaps no other clause in the Constitution generated as much debate among the group of inspired men we refer to as the Founding Fathers as the spending clause in the Constitution's enumerated powers. Those are the powers granted to Congress, the federal government, under Article I, Section 8 by the states. Strong central government proponent Alexander Hamilton and limited central government proponent James Madison, both of them the principal authors of the Federalist Papers, they both disagreed about the meaning of general welfare and the limits to Congress's spending power. For several decades now, their debates over the meaning of the Constitution have been replaced by a new liberty-eroding viewpoint, a viewpoint held by members of both major political parties, and that viewpoint is that there are no limitations whatsoever on Congress's power to spend. These ruling elites, the new aristocracy, they believe that the general welfare means whatever Congress says that it means. For members of the current political class in our nation's capital, no project is deemed too local or too narrow or even too foreign to not fall under the general welfare rubric. It is up to we, the people, to consistently and forcefully remind them of the limits of their spending power and recognize, even as Alexander Hamilton did, that this enumerated power is not unlimited. Now, as we have discussed on this program many times before, the Spending Clause, or what is now referred to as the General Welfare Clause, because it suits their messaging, this clause is also the source of congressional authority to levy taxes. However, it permits the levying of taxes for two purposes only. First, to pay the debts of the United States, and second, to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Taking both of these together, these purposes have traditionally been held to imply and constitute spending power. To many today, almost the entirety of the ruling elite from both political parties, which is being demonstrated right now in the budget battles going on in Congress, those two purposes are interpreted so broadly to amount to no limitation at all. This is contrary to the Founding Fathers' construction of a very limited Central government, our so-called leadership in the federal government right now believes that Congress's power to provide for the general welfare is a power to spend for virtually anything that Congress itself views as helpful. But you know what? Helpful to them is anything that will result in their getting reelected, reelected, and their continuing their usurpations of our liberty. Now, for full disclosure, some of the framers of the Constitution, and most notably among them, Alexander Hamilton, he and a small number of framers supported an expansive spending power during the Constitutional Convention. Their proposals, however, which included an explicit attempt to authorize spending by the federal government for internal improvements, were rejected by a majority of the Convention members. In his report on manufacturers written in 1791, Hamilton contended that the only limits on the tax and spend power were the requirements that duties be uniform, that direct taxes be apportioned by population, and that no tax should be laid on articles exported from any state. Now, the big spenders and big government proponents of today, they can't even follow that interpretation of Hamilton. Hamilton's position was that the power to raise money was otherwise plenary and indefinite, he argued, and the objects to which it may be appropriated are no less comprehensive. Now, James Madison, on the other hand, and most of the other founding fathers repeatedly argued that the power to tax and spend did not confer upon Congress the right to do whatever it thought to be in the best interest of the nation, but only to further the ends specifically enumerated elsewhere in the Constitution. After all, that's why the states listed or enumerated powers in the Constitution, because those powers not listed were not granted to the federal government. They were kept by the states. This position was supported by Thomas Jefferson, a patriot I deeply admire and one of the greatest minds in the formation of our constitutional republic. Sadly, and for more than a century now, the political class has purposely ignored the intent of the spending clause. Even going so far as to ensure that it is always referred to now as the general welfare clause because their ability to take our sweat equity via the vehicle of the abomination that is the 16th Amendment and to spend our sweat equity is what keeps them in power, them being members of both political parties. You see, there's very little difference between the two. Much of what I discussed can be found in an essay written more than a decade ago by John Eastman and is on the Heritage Foundation's website at heritage.org. I would encourage you all to go to that website and download the essay. It is titled, Enough is Enough, Why General Welfare Limits Spending. The essay goes further into how the general welfare clause, actually, it is a self-limiting clause, a fact even recognized by Alexander Hamilton. Specifically, that spending under the clause be for the general, meaning national, welfare, and not for purely local or regional benefit. Think about all of the spending bills in Congress, past and present, where there is more, there's so much pork that even Smithfield's jealous. Pork that includes spending, or really just money laundering, that is now called foreign aid. Also, when looking at the spending bills for the past century, realize this. It is both political parties that are doing it. Both parties are betraying the American people by placing this debt burden upon us. One party, the Republican Party, may be doing it more gradually or at a slower pace than the Democrat or Communist Party, but they are doing the same spending programs nonetheless and ignoring the intent of Article I, Section 8, Clause 1 of the United States Constitution. But this leads to the point I wanted to make about the only real major difference between the two political parties. The biggest difference is this, ladies and gentlemen. While the current Republican Party is definitely not a solution to all of our republic's problems, the modern Democrat Party, it is most assuredly the source of all the nation's problems. Just look at the political landscape. In fact, let's examine the accomplishments and results of the Biden administration and his legislative agenda that was passed when the communists held a majority in both houses of Congress. In fact, to go along with the point about the Republicans not being the solution, some of Biden's legislative agenda has been passed with a Republican majority in the House of Representatives this past year. Let's list some of the communists' accomplishments so far, shall we? They are, and in no particular order, an historic inflation crisis. A botched Afghanistan withdrawal, the lowest test scores among K 12 students in decades, 7.2 million, and rising daily illegal border crossings amid the worst border crisis on record. Prolonged supply chain shortages because of legislation like the Inflation Reduction Act, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve at historic lows even selling some of those emergency stores to China. There's record personal credit card debt for Americans, as many citizens have turned to those things in order to stay afloat in this build back better economy. There's also record homicide and crime rates in major U.S. cities, as Biden and the rest of his party of communists advocated for defunding the police. We have returned to energy dependence on other nations and rising fuel and energy costs for every American family. The weaponization of federal government against agencies and political opponents. Engaging in censorship by getting around the constitutional prohibition by partnering with non-government organizations, the bootlicking media, and many businesses, especially in the tech sector. And now, Despite what the communists in government and their willing accomplices in the sycophant media are telling the American people, there is very credible evidence Joe Biden has accepted bribes to influence national policy while enriching himself and his family. Needless to say, though, all this spending outside of the original intent of Congress's enumerated powers is a betrayal of the American in the highest order. And it is a way in which our constitutional republic will be destroyed, resulting in a new form of totalitarian government that will be installed. A government in which our constitutionally protected, God-given rights are erased, and we will all become servants or slaves to the state. Now for a brief break before we get into evidence of another betrayal of the American people by the Resident-in-Chief's administration. Now, recent information was revealed this past week about another betrayal by Biden and his administration. And it's not making major media or news media cycles. But it also ties into how the government spending is used against we the people. The fine people over American First Legal, they uncovered documents obtained through their litigation against the Department of Health and Human Services, which is just another one of those government agencies that has zero basis or authority under the enumerated powers of the Constitution. But these documents reveal how the Biden administration used $2 billion, and the potential for even more, in taxpayer-funded contracts to house illegal aliens. Not only that, those taxpayer dollars also enriched a former Obama-Biden admin staffer. Corruption doesn't fall far from the communist tree now, does it? It is a learned behavior. For some background, in 2020, an organization called Family Endeavors hired Andrew Lorenzen Strait, a former member of the Biden transition team. Family Endeavors, according to their website, is an organization that, quote, passionately serves vulnerable people in crisis through our innovative, personalized approach, end quote. Of course, in this instance, vulnerable people in crisis refers to illegal immigrants. Shortly after Endeavors hired Lorenzen Strait, HHS awarded it a single-sourced, no-bid contract worth $530 million. At the same time, the Department of Homeland Security's Immigration and Customs Enforcement, it awarded Endeavors a contract of $87 million. Endeavors had no noticeable government contracts before the arrival of a politically connected Biden-admin staffer, so American First Legal started looking into this. Long story short, after the Biden-connected Andrew Lorenzen Strait was hired by Endeavors, he ended up enriching himself and the company with our taxpayer dollars to the tune of nearly $2 billion, with potential contract award amounts totaling $2.8 billion. It pays to be in the Biden orbit, doesn't it? To find out more on this story of betrayal and corruption, visit America First Legal's website at aflegal.org. Again, that is aflegal.org. Well, that is all the time I have for this week, folks. In closing, we have this week's wisdom from God's Word. And today it comes to us from Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Our government has betrayed us all. They are supposed to be our equal, our companion, and our friends. Instead, leadership at all levels of government has failed us with all of their betrayals. At the federal level, it is done by twisting the Congress's taxing and spending power, interpreting that clause in their enumerated powers to mean what they want it to mean, granting themselves not only unlimited spending power, but the taxing power that must necessarily accompany it so each member of the new aristocracy can stay in their positions of power and influence. For generations, leadership on the state level has betrayed their citizens as well by not standing in the gap between the federal government and its people. They have all sold their oaths to the highest government or lobbyist bidders. While we the citizens are burdened in servitude to pay back the loans the federal government took out in our name. Biden himself is a corrupt human being that has sold out the entire nation to enrich himself and his family. Additionally, he has provided a great example to follow for many members of his administration that are fleecing the American taxpayer and for the benefit of criminal illegal aliens. It is a betrayal of their oaths. It is a betrayal of their positions of special trust and responsibility. It is a betrayal of our constitutional principles in this republic. It is corruption and betrayal that is forcing us all to live under tyranny. We all need to start living in the mantra that resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Once again, thank you all for listening, and I pray that you all enjoy the week and that you get after it in the work necessary to restore our constitutional republic. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. revely. it's time to wake up.